You have a song for this one? Nope. <laughs> no, I don't. I didn't figure. I didn't figure it would put you in the mood didn't for a song. Didn't venture into that territory mentally. But I'll yeah. tell you, I do have an anagram. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Talking about uh, apt pupil today, aka platypup, which is the uh, name of a child platypus. A baby platypus is a platypus. Aw, that's a really cute thought. Yep. So let's to come from a movie about, about Nazis. The Nazi <laughs> movie directed by the <laughs> sex pest. Yeah, I think he's worse than that, but we'll get into it. Um, allegations say yes. Allegations <laughs> say yes. This is show me allegations. <laughs> ding ding. Um, what? It's Kings of King. That's right. I'm Michael mm-hmm. Swaim. I'm Abe Epperson. And if you hear some temerity in our voice, that's because we're talking about a real. Real heavy jammer this time, and I don't mean in the way where Stephen King sometimes writes stories that are dark and depressing. Actually, it's the double whammy jammer because it is a dark it's, and de- yeah. it's extra grim even for a Stephen King. And mm-hmm. uh, there's some other issues going on beneath the surface that we'll discuss uh, as we talk. Apt pupil, which I had never seen before. Abe, had you seen it before? Yes, I had. Okay, in high school, I believe. All right. Uh, I think that's all we say. Sorry, I'm thrown off because we have this newest show, Star Trek The Next Futurama, where we do loose horse shit up top as a part Mm. of the format. You'll you'll be on soon enough. But uh, it's really thrown me into tangent territory for the rest of the podcast. It's a bad influence. I've noticed. Yeah. No, it's fine. So so let's keep it tight. Uh, For people like me who may Mm. not have seen it or avoided it, because of things that you know that would be a perfectly defensible position when it comes to apt pupil which we will examine a little more closely under the dome our best guess puts the dome at twenty thousand feet sir did he just call it a dome you think we might be stuck in here a while under the dome do you want me to take this one sure i think i took the last one so yeah go for it yep it can be pretty quick it's like kind of a it, for all, like, man, this thing could be a stage play, right? Because it's mo- mainly just two people. Uh, the idea behind it is uh, it's like 1984. A uh, 16-year-old high school student, Todd uh, Bowden, discovers that his neighbor uh, is, in reality, he doesn't, he, he has changed his name and he's actually Kurt Dussander, who is a former SS hiding from justice in the American suburbs. So Todd, for reasons that are beyond us, but just as a character effect, decides to blackmail Dessander for threatening, uh, by threatening to turn him into the police, saying like, I'll, I'll tell everyone you're a Nazi. Todd is also fascinated with Nazi shit, especially their atrocities in the concentration camps. And so he forces in this blackmail deal, uh, Dessander to, share his most disturbing stories of what it was like to uh, live and do the things that Nazis did in the extermination camps. Um, all at the same time, the movie shows that um, Todd is himself is showing symptoms of cruelty himself. He treats Dussander as a plaything. He stomps out a pigeon with a basketball. He doesn't seem to care about anything else, his girlfriend or his grades. Uh, Dussander finds out this out, realizes that he's like acting out and is really interested in the Nazi stuff very clearly. 
and uh, decides to pose as his grandfather with a, uh, at a uh, meeting with a school counselor who's played by David Schwimmer. Oh, by the way, Ian McKellen, obviously, yeah. is Dust Andrew. Uh, and working uh, title of the film was Bad Grandpa, actually, at one point. Not true. Continue. <laughs> uh, so... His grades are down because he's, I guess, all the Nazi stuff. Uh, <laughs> so Dasander blackmails Todd back, saying he'll reveal his fascination with the Nazis uh, or and like use his name as like when they find if you if you take me down, I'm going to take you down with me, basically. So you better get straight A's and make no one ask any questions about either of us. So they're now kind of dual blackmailing each other, uh, each other with this weird relationship that they have. Um, does Sander, and then basically there's a montage that Todd does Where exactly he that. Studies he studies and gets straight A's. He studies like gets a learning grades. school montage. Yeah. It's like when it's Bart gets an F montage. and he has to like not get summer school by studying yeah. hard one night. Yeah. Because the previous scenes were, you know, Ian McKellen saying atrocities yeah. and Todd being like, yeah, yeah, love it. And then it's like, now he's getting straight A's and hitting, <laughs> you, hitting home runs in the big game. Uh, so months kind of pass and Dust Sanders is approached by a homeless man who saw him in one of the previous uh, versions of um, uh, Todd and uh, Dust Sanders' relationship, which is he would make him dress up as an SS soldier. And this homeless man claims to have seen him in that SS uniform. So he takes him home uh, and he attempts to kill him, the homeless man. Uh, but in the middle of it, he has a heart attack because he's like 75 years old. He calls Todd, who decides to come over and finish the job, kill the homeless man, clean it all up, and then take Dustander to the hospital. In the hospital, uh, he's recognized by uh, another patient who was in the concentration camps as the Nazi, and he and he wakes up to find the police standing over his bed. He's been caught. Uh the film kind of starts to wrap up with Todd graduating valedictorian. We'll make a note uh, later. This is widely different from the uh, ending that Stephen King did. Um, he he graduates valedictorian, but at the time, French, uh, David Schwimmer, the school counselor, yep. sees his real grandfather, realizes that Dustander and Todd were gaslighting him. So once the news of Dustander hits like the the papers and there's a photo of him. The police investigate Todd, uh, who lies about even knowing him. They believe him, but French approaches Todd about his grandfather being a Nazi instead of who he actually mm -hmm. really is. And at, while this is happening simultaneously in the hospital in a moment alone, uh, Dust Hander kills himself via air embolism, I guess. I didn't he even know this was a thing. He blows air bubbles into his Blows own... air into his IV. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and the film wraps up with Todd saying that he'll tell everyone that the school counselor is a pederast and a homosexual. Um, so you can't come at me for this shit. So Todd, again, blackmails. Uh, and French doesn't know what to do with that. And we kind of end there. And it's sort of the transcendent blackmail because now he can blackmail people yeah. just based on nothing. So like he's unstoppable, right? It's the like I am of, toxic. Yeah. And if you know me, I'll take you down. Yeah. Um, and it's and we get the feeling that he's essentially going to get away with everything. But that's where the movie stops. Apt. Apt and told with a plum. All right. <laughs> I don't have anything to add because that is the basic plot. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot of detail to dig into, though. So yeah. I really want to plow on through to Skeleton Crew. Something in the mist! Shut the doors! Shut the doors! Uh, and I think this will be a meaty Skeleton Crew because, well, you, before we were recording, you we were debating, like, how much to address it, but I, but obviously this is the section where we talk about the cast and crew and the making of the film, and uh, I think it, we yeah we have to pull the spotlight away from Stephen King a bit and talk about uh, the crazy backstory of this equally crazy film because of course, so right. I am not refreshed. I know it's real bad. Um, is it? And I know it involves minors and taking advantage of his role on set as director to like mm-hmm. hook up with people. But is that the that's the gist of the allegations against Brian Singer that are pretty credible, right? Yes, there's been four allegations. There's one in 1997, one in 2014, one in 2017, one in 2019. On top of that, multiple people have come out and said like, oh, yeah, for like almost two decades, people talked about how uh, there was just Brian Singer sex parties. And it was known that if you were like a young, uh, attractive man and man in Hollywood, mm-hmm. uh, you were going to be tried to be brought into these crazy sex parties. Um, yeah. And one and of the allegations it was that, mainly drugs. Mm-hmm. That's how he got him in there. But there's a lot Career of allegations promise, of rape sure. and sexual assault, obviously. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So trigger warning if you want to check out now, but we are going to get into it because I don't think it's fair to just gloss over. Uh, no. Uh, so one of the allegations even comes from the shooting of apt pupil. So I'm quoting right. IMDb here, but I wanted to get the facts out there. 14 year old extra filed a lawsuit alleging he was ordered to strip naked for the shower scene. Uh, there's a scene where Josh Bowden is spacing out in the shower, you know, obviously thinking about the connection to the showers the Nazis used. And uh, it's just a it's just a gym shower scene. But in retrospect, becomes so incredibly uncomfortable because you're like a guy who's sexually aggressive towards young men uh, is directing this scene. And it's just like. 14 to 17 year old, like ripe young boys naked hanging out. And uh, indeed, there are two other boys, 117 and 116, made similar claims saying that they didn't want to get naked. They didn't know they were going to be told to get naked. They were ordered to and sort of browbeaten into it and stuff like that. A sexual crimes task force that included local, state and federal personnel investigated the incident. While some sources state that the civil case was dismissed due to insufficient evidence, others indicate it was settled out of court. So, um, yeah, highly credible. And uh, I don't have we gone into do you have a set answer on do you separate the artist from the art or what have you? Like, do you still watch usual? Suspects? It's a very big question. Yeah. Uh, and this one is right on the line. This is actually a, a big one for me because I think that it's it's uh, it's harder to for me on this one because it's actually in the work like he's using the work as a methodology to be kind of to be fucked up. Um, and so because he's using his, like a lot of people argue that a lot of these, uh, you know, atrocities come out of the fact of the power dynamic. And I'd say that that's true. Like I would, I would agree that that's probably true most of the time. And so, um, because they are powerful men. Um, and I think that, uh, it's hard to separate on this one when he's doing it literally in the filmmaking. I will talk about, that's what I want to get into. Yeah. <laughs> I will talk about in this podcast, uh, like 
things he did in order to make the film, because I don't think film stops for anybody. I believe that if they did something, I'm not going to laud it more or less. I'm not going to make go out of my way and say, this guy's so great. Shame that he's a monster kind of thing. I don't think that's important. I think it should be a footnote that this film was filmed well, for example. Um, I'm saving it for it, but I have a little rundown on that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But it doesn't, that to me is like, that's the footnote. And I think Mm -hmm. it's important that history remembers that that's the footnote and that's how it's told. Yeah. The victims uh, are definitely the big takeaway, obviously. And I have no problem talking about how Ian McKellen is, you know, a treasure in this movie. Yeah. I have no problem whatsoever talking about David Tremor's role coming out of like friends. Like this is a huge jump for him. Um, Yeah. Interesting stuff on that front. Uh, Ian McKellen playing a 75 year old speaking of anagrams, was 57 at the time. Uh, Mm. And then this creeped me out, but it does speak to the strength of his performance. Brad Renfro, playing Josh Bowden, is only 14 in this movie. It's like a Matty Ross status. And he kills it. And he kills it. He he might be the best part of this movie. It's insane. a, a deadpan sociopath with occasional flashes of zero to 10 rage. And right. uh, it's only two speeds, but they're good for horror. He does it quite well for a fourteen-year-old. Yeah, it reminds me of shit. like yeah, young Edward Norton in Primal Fear level. Sure, um, it's it's very effective. Um, yeah, we'll talk about how I think that that it, how how both actors are utilized and how it does make for a compelling watch. Um, I will say that. Yeah. And actually, it's funny you mention it feels like a stage play. That singer actually said that's one of the main things that appealed to him and why he picked yeah. it. Because uh, this is basically off the success of Usual Suspects. Singer could do whatever he wanted, and he wanted to do Apt Pupil. So that's interesting, especially when we get to the point where we're talking about what he did with Apt Pupil. Because, spoiler alert, the third act kind of goes off the rails in a way where I think we have a powder on our hands, which means, by which I mean... A director who has a complex and highly problematic sexual identity, and it's actually leaking through into the work, like they're debating those Mm. issues in the work. And we're not, I don't think we're the first people to draw this conclusion. There's a good bit from a critic about uh, sadomasochism, homoeroticism, and homophobia in Apt Pupil that I want to sort of read out later. But uh, yeah, I'll save it for him, but man, this movie... Brian Singer really took it into his own hands and made it what he wanted to it to be, along with right. the screenwriter, of course. And uh, it's a very fraught thing that I don't even know if he knows everything that he's like revealing in it, like in retrospect, you know, yep. <laughs> because it plays it's with crazy. people in power we, taking advantage of people sexually. Yeah, it, it's yeah. very interesting. And I, my I went through the same rabbit hole. Not as much in the... The short story is not the basis for that stuff. That's all added. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Okay, okay. But continuing on Skeleton Crew, I also want to ask, did you think the score was as shitty as I thought the score was? I think this score, is one of my least favorite scores. The sc- score is... Uh, there. Yeah, wasn't there... There was also a note or an interview with the uh That's what I wanted score. to get into because it's name. so fucking funny. Yeah, 
uh, did you have that quote at hand? Yeah, because I John, I know the one you're talking about. It's basically about how he didn't know how to do it's it. It's John Ottman. Well, I just thought this score sucked. So I looked up and then there's <laughs> yeah, a thing. Yeah. I'm like, who scored it? I just want to know in case there's an interesting thing. And it's John Ottman, who's the film editor and then doubled as music composer. And the quote is... Uh, I found it a challenge to create the proper score. Normally, an editor will score scenes with temporary music from CDs and so forth, and nothing I could find worked. Uh, the composer says he sought a mix between the scores of 2001 A Space Odyssey and the military-based comedy 1941 and I uh, to create a, quote, otherworldly pastiche. And I got to say, uh, the film is well edited. But I feel like they just roped this person into doing double duty and they weren't intending to score the film or something because I, it doesn't mm. accomplish 2001's grandeur. It doesn't accomplish 1941's. No, of course it doesn't, not. It's not an otherworldly pastiche. It's just bad score, bad film score. <laughs> I mean, it's not a visual movie. And I've long said that music and f and pictures were made they were made to make love, you, said you know, that like so they, were, they were designed mm -hmm. together. So of course, 2001, we go like this music slaps. Look at these visuals because they played, they played them simultaneously and they are totally cadent Yeah, and they write, they make both forms rise above their stature. Um, it's, that's crazy to me. This movie has no compelling visuals. So it feels like the music feels isolated and different. Uh, it doesn't feel as real as the rest of the film. It's a hard score. There's also part of the quote, or there's like another quote that he had, the composer, which I thought was interesting, which is that he he talked about the reason why he chose that way is because he wanted to do, he wanted to um, he wanted to go a different route than like okay, so like Ian McKellen's putting a cat in an oven, right? Mm -hmm. So you'd expect that there would be like a bum bum or like a str or, a, a, a string hit or something like that. He's trying to shuck the conventional, like, just do the thing that we, like when something crazy happens or instantaneous impact of like violence occurs, this is how the, it sounds. Uh, I hate that. I think most filmmakers hate that. People who don't care about if it matters use that. And people who have no other answer use that. It feels lazy. It feels not right. So I do give it to this guy for trying and yeah, understanding that's a problem. But there's just been problem. inspired choices in this realm. Like the Virgin right. Suicides comes to mind or like there will be blood. True. And this is not, it's, or this it's is like not. a swing and a miss. That's all. I don't need to bag on the guy any further, but yeah. Right. I think they should probably should have, I mean, he, he did do some of the good scoring. I thought at the end mm. where it's like a lot of the, you know, German ballads and arias and oh, such sure. like the uh, operatic stuff i thought that was like okay yeah, yeah now you got anything going death had, that feels kind of like king's mm -hmm. like you remember king's speech when he does the yeah, uh i like does speech. The speech. people like to hate king's yeah. speech but it's a tight little movie <laughs> oh that yeah it is it's a nice little i'm using king's tight speech. too much but that's all right <laughs> that's all right uh the yeah, so I guess, I don't know. That's enough probably to talk about him. I just thought, you're absolutely right. It, the score does suck, but I think he's got like a really big problem. Uh, and it's not out of like poor design. Mm -hmm. It's just like, it's going for a different thing. Uh, and while we're on, well I, well, I pull a lot of this section from Wikipedia slash IMDb trivia. So while we're on factoids, I have a couple unrelated factoids. This is sure. more of, I think it's become an unofficial segment too. 
read the dumbest, worst IMDb trivia for each film. On Just kind of get it out of the way. Yeah. There's some good Everybody. ones, man. Like, like the fact that they added this, you know, like that's not trivia. That's just a sentence you yammered into the void and now it's there forever. <laughs> yeah, hit me with that. Ironically, man. Sir Ian McKellen would go on to play Magneto, a Jewish character who was persecuted during the Holocaust <laughs> in Brian Singer's X-Men. And you're like, that's, that's a- not a factoid. It is a weird coincidence, but it's funny that it's almost like a cracked factoid. Uh, or something that Soren would point out in After Hours. All right, two more, two more. Uh, the film <laughs> features a character named Monica. Jewish people and David Swimmer. Schwimmer. Schwimmer is best known for playing ah. Ross Geller in Friends, in which his character Ross is a Jewish person with a sister named Monica. Jesus Christ. He it's ought- not even like the most interesting thing is the guy went from friends to this. Like right. that's the yeah, interesting fact. That's is like I mean, that's is weird. <laughs> what a pivot. You know, uh, not oh, you know, Monica's in this movie too. Last but not least, body count. Three, two humans, one bird. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's a that's a king right there. I like there. that there's someone going through IMDb and every film doing body count blank. Like just doing the wiki yeah. feet thoroughness of deaths in film. Yeah. Um yeah. all right. <laughs> the skeletons are toddling off to their bone beds. That's the sound of my skeletons. All right. Uh what are we up next? What's up next, baby? The big one, I think. The big one. It. Bill, if you'll come with me, you'll float too. You'll float too. You'll float too. That's right. Where we unpack themes, talk about whatever we want, talk about actual scene work or filmmaking technique. Um, mm-hmm. It's really the it's really the highlight of most. It's just us riffing episodes. on stuff that our minds pulled out of the movie is interesting, and they usually what we find interesting is scene work, themes, and symbolism. Yeah. Uh, so the first thing I wanted to bring up was my little diatribe on. Uh, so everything we just discussed in mind, even to the degree that I'm on the fence, like knowing what I know about Brian Singer, then watching this movie and re and like remembering, oh, it's Brian Singer. That's right. And then watching the movie unfold, especially the third act. At the end, I was like, should we have covered this? It's almost on that right. line. Um, so the most responsible that I'm going to be is say that, you know, we're upfront about every about the situation. And I think we have been. So with all that in mind, I say humbly as a footnote that does not matter in the face of the trauma of the victims here. Uh, Singer is visually competent. And I'm just going to staple together some things that impress me where I'm like, yeah, with this this combined with Usual Suspects, you can see why this artist was picked up by Hollywood and had a career, especially because they're not that outside the box, but I just find them effective. Like, obviously, the uh, opening, which really reminded me of The Squid and the Whale, if you've ever seen that. And this is actually a perfect example, because The Squid and the Whale does this subtly uh, and with grace. And I think Brian Singer does good tropes, good techniques, but with not as much subtlety or grace. Um, so squid and the whale starts on black and you just hear the dialogue. It's you and me versus mom and dad. And then you hard cut and it's a family playing tennis. But mm-hmm. if you think back about it, you realize, cause it's about a messy divorce that the kid who said that, that matches up, you know, that's the theme of the movie. It's you and me yeah. versus mom versus, uh, It's me and dad versus you and mom, whatever. If I misspoke, apologies. Um, But you get it. So in this one, 
it starts with a guy, the teacher saying to Brad Renfro, that concludes our week on the Holocaust, but we'll still never know like what could drive someone to do something like that. Maybe we'll never know. And then he erases the word Jews from the blackboard. And I'm like, mm-hmm. I get it. It's, it's pretty on the nose, but the visual symbolism is there. And you just said there was no visual symbolism. I caught four that I liked. So number two, I'm going to go real quick. Um, in the opening credits montage, superimposing it in such a way that it looks like the kid's head is in the textbook. And sometimes it Mm -hmm. looks like because the panning involved, the kid's head melds with one of the Nazis heads and then unmelts. Like that's a pretty cool use of simple superposition, which is such a, you know, 50% opacity between two shots is one of the most classic film techniques dating back so long. And Mm -hmm. uh, people still use it in effective ways. Uh, the s- I mean, Capper used it, in, you know, like yeah. back then, you know, superimposing, especially in montage, because you're already you're already fading. doing it. Why, why not fade? You know, in why not have continuity way. fades? Yeah. yeah. And uh, again, so, yeah, just combining elements in meaningful ways. If you interpolate the data, uh, the moment he realizes that Dusander, he's on the bus and the next scenes at the school, the moment he realizes that Dusander is who he's looking for. Pardon me. <laughs> you can see it in his eyes like it is the guy. Uh, at that moment, you hear the school bell ring non-diegetically from the coming scene. But it's literally like an alarm bell is going off in this character's head. That's probably my favorite maneuver uh, that I picked up on. And then uh, the, my favorite visual maneuver is when he's sort of at the peak of his emotional fuck, I'm fucked, like I'm in over my head, this is spinning out of control. He's riding his bike through a storm drain. They use this shot in the trailer. Abe, I know you know the one I'm talking about. He's Mm. riding through a storm drain and they do this dramatic up-angled shot at his face and the harsh light on the storm drain's corrugated steel makes a series of striations behind him and it almost Mm. gives a strobing effect of like the way that anime uses panels of abstraction background to make movement very dynamic like the background just becomes a blur that represents motion in a really cool way it's visually really punchy um yes and i'm gonna diffuse all this by also saying that brian singer does some of the worst most ham-fisted things i've ever seen for example Mm. this movie literally ends with a nazi who got away with murder making a swish on the basketball court like it's I'm sorry, but I laughed out loud like, dude, Dude. to think of Uh, people sitting around going, how should we show that our that he's triumphant? He's I don't know. Why is he making like a sick three pointer, dude? Yeah, dude. He just <laughs> It's literally like, why doesn't he surf away and put sunglasses he's, he's on? Like, to, I don't know. Why doesn't he skateboard he's about up to drop pipe? 40? He's about to drop 40 on the Celtics, dude. <laughs> uh so uh wow. You know, usually that was very good visual analysis. Very good. Except for the to belch you. in the middle, but thank you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, no, you, you hit all the, you hit all the right uh, points, man. That's absolutely right. He does do that. All that stuff. <laughs> yeah. uh, and he did. They're not reinventing the wheel. They work. No. Uh, he's still mm-hmm. a piece of shit. <laughs> I, uh, I also, I agree with a lot of the like above standard. Uh, Cause especially if you watch, Movies now, I don't know if you all of everyone listening to obvious been to movies recently. Mm-hmm. Uh, they don't care about this kind of stuff. They find it uh, beneath them, above them. I don't know what the perception Not is. Lucrative, but like they yeah. don't attempt it. We don't, they don't do attempt assembly it or care. of elements in a meaningful way as a 
maneuver yeah. that much anymore, which is weird. Right. Even in our good movies. Yeah. Like even in our solid movies, movies that are made by like, oh wow, the, this this guy's really good at making like it's not in any it's definitely not in any of the blockbusters. Mm-hmm. And it used to be. Uh Indiana Jones has it. Uh, well, you know, we're so that kind of stuff. For that, they'll have like one yeah. shot in Game of Thrones where the dragon, but wings Iron Man doesn't. Are oh, uh, Game out of Thrones of, does it a lot more. That's what yeah, I mean. Game of Thrones does it all the time. The shows that occasionally do it, people will lose their shit, and I think it shows that people still like film grammar. I don't know why we're not doing it anymore. <clears throat> it I don't when know we if, do it, people flip out. <laughs> they like it. I can't speak. I think I. You're probably right. Uh, I don't know. I think the reason that they're not caring is probably because people, not enough people, do. Mm-hmm. All I'm saying is I like it. Um, but yeah, there's. <laughs> you got a Marvel. You know, they even the good directors, even like Iron Man and mm-hmm. Black Panther, they're not doing that stuff. <laughs> they don't care. Uh, but that's that's a random soapbox. My point is. Uh, also on like the double edged sword that you brought up, I agree that it's not a very subtle film and Ebert was smart to point this out when it came out because he basically argued that it was like, yeah, it gleans the surface of a huge philosophical concept or multiple concepts. Mm-hmm. And it exists in that space, in that space that is, you know, typically brave and a place we all value when art goes there, but it doesn't really investigate it. So that makes things and it makes her things to feel one dimensional, like Ian McKellen's character, which is something that Ian McKellen himself voiced. He was like, I am just the personification of evil. And that's kind of like usually in these films that are really thinking about how the, the, the mechanization of the arguments, you have this tete-a-tete between two forms of cruelty, uh, which is what Stephen King was doing and what, you know, the film is doing. Uh, usually you don't want those things to be one dimensional. Usually that's where this stuff is. Uh, so I feel like we can talk about uh, the setup that Stephen King was going well, for. Especially and in I a don't... story where the core theme is like sins that can never be forgiven. The past doesn't let you go. Uh, evil that persists and is revisited upon you. Like, <clears throat> yeah, it's interesting that the evil. I think is very the perfect word. McKellen's. I think the perfect mm-hmm. word is cruelty. I think this yeah. is a movie about cruelty. Yeah, there's like hard candy comes to mind. Killing of a sacred deer comes to mind uh, mm-hmm. because, as you mentioned, or you alluded to cheekily. I like it when you do that. Uh, mm. You're like, we don't know why Todd Bowden is a fucked up Nazi kid. Uh, he mm. didn't have YouTube at this time, so I don't know what exactly radicalized him, but <clears throat> he just feels an affinity for like the Holocaust in a morbid way. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the film, I would argue that the film does rush and like, I actually find it too abrupt and almost like missed opportunities to delve into the complexity and nuance of because this mm-hmm. theme, the story, the premise is so vibrantly relevant right now, right? Uh, if you updated it and had like a kid getting radicalized on YouTube and finds out there's a Nazi in his town and he, you know, starts getting into that shit, it would almost right. uh, feel more justified. This movie doesn't make an attempt to justify. You're just like, this guy's a Nazi, so he's evil. So forget about him. He's evil. This kid is evil because he's, I don't know, a sociopath probably. They just are that. Mm. And it feels a little unearned and abrupt. Mm. Like the movie is almost too short. So it skips because the movie is ultimately about grooming in a lot of ways. Uh, and 
they skip a lot of the steps. You know, he'll just be like, we've been doing this for eight months, almost a year. And you're like, really? It's mm-hmm. only been two sequences, but okay. It's been, yeah, yeah. Um, and I do think it missed the opportunity to dig into some of those issues because I truly believe this film is an interesting balance of Brian Singer's own like hauntings and ghosts coming through the work as well. Oh yeah. We can talk about that. Weirdly compromised mishmash of like, he is a man going through something that he must know is wrong. And in his life Mm -hmm. dealing with whatever mental defenses or rationalizations he had around that, that allowed him to keep doing it. And, and he's also making a movie about, a cat and mouse relationship between two men where one's a minor and there's like power <clears throat> dynamics that keep getting flipped. I want to get into this a little bit because yeah, I we, find it fascinating. I w- and I want to back, I back up a little bit and I want to tell everybody about the movie ending versus the book ending. Cause this kind of, because once we kind of completed the two different tales and how Brian Singer adjusted it, you know, uh, and the author adjusted it from the Stephen King version, you kind of start to see some subtle nuances that you go, Whoa. Um, one of, so just, the facts the book ending after designer commits suicide which is a little earlier in the book french does confront todd about why designer posed as his grandfather todd has a gun and shoots him and then todd becomes a domestic terrorist he basically goes on a shooting spree uh and then he's ultimately gunned down by like the fbi in the movie it's the same uh, more or less but then uh, you know, but differences like the overdose suicide, yeah. an overdose suicide versus self-imposed air embolism. But it's just threatening to he's using the methodology that kind of like Got he him learned, he's I guess, a horse he rode in on or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And he's just doing kind of the same thing. Uh, I, a few other things I want to mention. Brian Singer's first project. This is Brian Singer's first project after uh, the usual suspects, which was a runaway hit. Now, this film didn't make its money back, but it didn't cost that much. It's considered a flop. So he had a choice to do several pod projects before, like, saying, I'm going to make this movie. Two of them were The Truman Show, and the other one is The Devil's Own. So he was like A-list. He was immediately A-list. And he said in an interview that this was his passion project. And uh, his friend, like we mentioned, wrote this spec on script. It was ne- like script on they made, yeah, uh, script on spec. Which is sorry, uh, just so- to, that's an interesting quote. Yeah, because the screenwriter said, uh, "Yeah, I, he presented the idea to me. I was like, all right, and I wrote it on spec. So I figured even if mm-hmm. it didn't get made, I'd have a writing sample. So it's interesting mm-hmm. that." I have to imagine Brian Singer was involved in rewrites to some degree because Mm. I just, I'm sorry. That's what I believe. Uh, Because the, it's interesting that no, it was no one's passion project per se, other than Brian Singer, who said he, it was the film he's wanted to make ever since he was 19. Right. Um, I did want to point out one last thing, which is that I think is probably the most interesting to me which is a difference in the book is Todd starts killing homeless people out of compulsion in the middle of the book. In the movie, he kills a homeless man that Dussander attempts to kill and fails kind of saving Dussander and this toxic relationship. Um, this is a bizarre change to me. I mean, they all, they both work on their own story-wise, Dude, the, but the, the short change, story is way cooler to me the fact that he would become a domestic terrorist is 
a good commentary on the theme. Whereas Singer tries to hijack the theme, the Nazi theme, and Mm -hmm. sort of make it about his own personal demons. And that makes the ending have to be different. Todd, we now have Todd triumphant. Todd as the guy who, man, as the Brian Singer, as the guy who has this terrible secret, but will go on and assimilate into society and succeed and excel. Well, the change builds empathy for Todd in a strange way to me. Because it makes the Nazi fully culpable for most of the shit, yeah. Some may say it's to make his actions out of necessity, which is a good way to make your villain more understandable. And Todd is ultimately the villain of the film. There's two villains in this (laughs) film, obviously. Uh, And it's a good impulse to avoid one-dimensional villains, etc. But like... It also erases the murderous compulsion of someone who loves violence and cruelty, right? Cruelty out of, it's like two, it's setting a dichotomy of cruelty out of personal gain and cruelty out of like pleasure. And that's a nuance that in, that's in the book. Yeah. the, uh, book, the sh- And the movie doesn't seem to agree with that. The, and that's interesting. The book is a fairly straightforward, like passing of the torch from one person who found themselves obsessed with cruelty to another right. person. It's like Todd Bowden was always going to become cruel and a killer yeah. and he found the Nazi and the, and used him to work those issues mm-hmm. out and become his full self, uh, which is creepy and horror and totally on brand King, right? Like the evil that persists, mm-hmm. like, yes, all the Nazis might be dying, but there's a new generation of fucked up people who are imbibing their ideas or finding cruelty wherever they can and letting it blossom. That's a really urgent message. That's totally true mm-hmm. and on brand and, Now let's talk about act three of this movie, which is Mm -hmm. in case I just made, I wanted to make a quick case in case people think you're just projecting or you're saying like, because Brian Singer turned out to be a rapist, we now are projecting this onto it. Uh, Here's my argument that this actually is in the film. Um, And Abe, hopefully you can talk to like the choreography, the staging and the camera and the lensing and shit, because I think that's part of it too. But I'm a words guy, so I just noticed the following resonant lines. Um, Oh, well, we should talk about the unhoused dude is literally coming in with the implication that he's going to have sex with Ian McKellen and Mm. says, uh, well, the dialogue goes, uh, can I have a drink? First a drink, then I'll do anything you say. And then Ian McKellen says, fuck off. And then he says... Listen, man, I know something about you. You're a nice guy. I'm nice too, like the boy. And his implication is gay, is what he means by Mm -hmm. nice. Uh, And then he says, maybe I can use your shower. Hard cut to him in a fleece sweater and a rainbow scarf. Like the unhoused dude just happens to wear pride colors and a traditionally feminine Mm -hmm. coated sweater. So like, I think these are clear directorial choices where he's trying to say, and there's lingering shots of hands being held and blah, blah, blah. Singer is definitely saying, I am overlaying the twisted world of the, that, that coin of two sides, homoeroticism and homophobia, because of course, ultimately Todd uses society's homophobia as the hammer with which to destroy uh, mm-hmm. David Schwimmer. So it's like this kid, he's conflating this idea of this Nazi grooming the kid and, and an S&M relationship between an old man and a minor that also has homoerotic overtones, but is also filled with the shame of homophobia. But he's also mistakenly conflating being homosexual with being a pedophile. And my contention is because he's going through complex issues around that. Uh, yeah. And 
That's right. Uh, to really put it over the top, the the like break into Act Three line is Ian McKellen saying, "Oh my dear boy, don't you see we are fucking each other?" I mean. Mm-hmm. Come on. <laughs> That's like a resonant line if ever there was one. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like up to that point, I was wondering, am I just projecting onto the movie? <coughs> when Ian McKellen says nah. to the kid, we are fucking each other. I'm like, no, he's doing a thing. He's doing a riff on homoeroticism for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, as Ian McKellen had in an interview, um, there was uh, he was talking about uh, Kevin Spacey and um <laughs> and Brian Singer because it all kind of happened at the same time. Uh, but something that Ian McKellen kind of referenced Ian McKellen being, you know, uh, an out gay actor and uh, a very popular one at that. He's like, I always thought it was a bit distasteful that such a person would come to our country where the national theater at the time was being run by a gay man and the Royal Shakespeare by another. And we should have a closeted gay man at the center of the uh, British theater uh he said you get into problems you don't if you lie if you pretend like i think it's pretty clear to me that ian mckellen is saying like this guy wouldn't have if this guy wasn't terribly fearful of his own you know insecurities and problems he probably wouldn't have done these abuses as well like this is a tortured man making this film is what I think we're probably yeah, both dancing around. At. Yeah. Like he, he, the, the hyperbole in some uh, instances where it's like, yeah, we get it. And then in other instances, these nuances that are like, are you expect, what are you trying to take? What, what do you yeah, think we're taking away suddenly, from this? Now suddenly Todd Bowden's doing an anti-gay diatribe. Do you hate gay right. people movie or are you right. secretly gay? Or are you trying to confront society yeah. with, hypocrisy or are you trying to say that you yourself hate part are of yourself. a victim yeah or, are and, you or victim? like yeah yeah it's like i don't understand what exactly you're trying to say um and the fact that yeah as you said he uses like the you know french he says i'm gonna expose you uh as french gay, publicly for being your life a homosexual yeah. and a pederast yeah. it's like whoa two to hold hold on like that one is vastly different than the other. And I think that it's a strange thing that Brian Singer seems to equate the two time and time again. Right. Um, because I think he's dealing with, I mean, I can't say I'm not a psychologist, but it is written all over this movie that he's clearly, uh, he's, he's signifying them both together. He hates that society hates it, but he also seems to agree with society that it is, corrupt somehow mm-hmm. um he's he doesn't and that's that one dimensional aspect he he refuses to move it out and of the, you into the two-dimensional space that he's trying to force it all into a lens of like a mainstream horror film that he thinks america will right. go for because he's a career guy like he's not an auteur type director he wants yeah. to make blockbusters and shit so imagine man it reminds me of uh and I know these these are allegations that are a little less founded, but personally, I'm on the side of believing they're credible. The Pete Townsend from The Who stuff. Uh, I swear to God, if you listen to the song Behind Blue Eyes, I probably have mentioned this before on the podcast. Yeah. Uh, I think it's the same thing. It's a song written by a tortured dude who's going through his own toxic sexuality and like doesn't know what to do with it. Listen to that. Don't watch this. 
I guess don't even listen to that. I don't know. I definitely don't recommend people watch this, but I think right. it's worth it to listen to us talk about it because we can just tell you all the shit you would have gleaned and you don't have to <laughs> dig you into don't it. Have, it is yeah. it is sad because uh, Ian McKellen said, it seems like he understands both. He said uh, that he was attracted to the part because it's so meaty and various. Like he gets to inhabit a bunch of different emotional states. You can see how it's a juicy part. Mm -hmm. But he also says, my character is very one dimensional. I'm just evil or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's, and he didn't like it. He, th he thought he, he was like, oh, Brian Singer, he's uh, like fantastic director. He just, Usual Suspects was great. Yeah. And Brian Singer looked at Ian McKellen is like, oh, I saw you in another movie. You were great. Everyone wants to work with each other. Everyone's very good at their job. Mm -hmm. And then when they 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 go on this topic, which they all are pretty well versed into you know, some aspects of the idiosyncrasies, mm -hmm. uh, nothing came out of it. That's what's, that's what I, I think Ebert was on point is that he's like, you just didn't go into the, you didn't go, you, you were surface level all the way because you, the second that you want, that we started asking what would questions be your of stance? like, what are, what's you, your stance? Right. Then? It would be problematic for you to go he through would be that. Like, I in an don't know way. what it is. Yeah. I don't think he has an answer. Maybe he has now. I don't know. But the, the film doesn't, the film has this ending that basically says that like, it, there's some weird, like violence or cruelty begats cruelty, but that is immediately undermined by the fact that Todd is cruel from the beginning. He's broken from the get-go and is just spiraling through the movie. Um, and yet, yeah, yeah, that's another way in which it's messy. The main, the characters are one-dimensional, but what's what does vary is their dynamic, who's on top, mm -hmm. so to speak. And it starts as a terrifying fight for power because they want to destroy each other and progresses to it almost seems like kind of a soft S&M relationship where they both get off on being alternately subservient and dominant. Um, now That's let's true. say yeah. explicitly, there's no gay sex in the movie. Uh, in fact, the only like surface level thing is Todd being homophobic. So uh, it's mm -hmm. like we say, it's like a haunting, tortured mishmash of non-statements around a topic that the director's clearly going through but can't talk about too much and it's fascinating from that point of view uh and mm. uh there's more backing that up quoting that critic uh let me get his name just so i can give credit dennis mahoney who did a an essay called the frames of evil the holocaust as horror in american film uh touches on part of this or touches on apt pupil in part and talks about something that I didn't notice at first and now totally in retrospect notice, which is that the film also uses lensing, lighting and staging to fetishize Todd's body, which is totally true. Oh, yeah, We get over the top shots. We get a lot several shower scenes over the top shots of his armpit, nipples, stuff like that, which mm -hmm. I was just like genuinely like 14 year old high school boys are shirtless a lot. I didn't think much of it, but thinking of it through this lens, I'm like, Oh yeah, they're treating his body. Like we often treat the female body. Uh, right. And, yeah. There's a gaze. Yeah. And it's, it's weird. I guess that's yeah. all I got. You got, uh, um, w were there any horror parts that worked on you? Cause for me, just the, the beating of the unhoused dude was genuinely upsetting. That got me. Well, yeah, the and the cat was 
pretty intense. Oh, because they, the they the went really far, and you saw yeah. you see the cat's paws like touch flame, and obviously, I'm I, I'm pretty sure like I could see the it's uh, a wire, yeah. like the, yeah, not not I didn't literally see wires, but I you know in terms of the metaphor, I like I could feel like I saw the the, the wires in that, like it, it the the hands didn't. It look was a real, real cat enough. when he grabbed it. Then they cut to close ups. But yeah, of paws. they did some clever cutting, yeah. which very effective because I, that affected me. Um, especially because it was short haired Tabby. That, and and that's the other thing cat. that it affected me was, uh, it got at the fact that DeSander was just like Todd. Whereas up to that point, you think he might, at, he's, he might mean he, it yeah. when he's saying like, I was just following orders. It was just something you had right. to do to survive. No, this no. Is the point he where puts like, things in ovens. No, he it's was into it. On the nose. He was into it and he's still into it and he would do it again if he could. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. Uh, Surprisingly, I want to, yeah, I want to talk a little bit about the, the horror or like kind of like the horror beneath the, the horror like beneath the, the horror, premise. like what we typically yeah. talk about, like in, in Shining, for example. Mm-hmm. And this is very akin, uh, in the catalog of King, uh, you know, he, he has a, he doesn't always follow the villains or the, you know, they may be anti-heroes, uh, in some cases, uh, like, but there's a small class of, um, stories that he does that like the shining, like Carrie, like at pupil where we're like knee deep in the villainous, uh, arcs. There's no one uh, that you're rooting for the, Oh, maybe they'll mm-hmm. survive. It's not about that at all. Yeah. Right. And you, typically, and I want to keep going back to, which is like one of our first, if I, I think probably our first episode, uh, the shining and, once again, kind of this strange, uh, dichotomy of King that seems to change or be in flux throughout his career. Now, if King were listening to this, he'd probably have many disagreements with what I'm about to say, but it's just because when I get down to it, I'm a Kubrick guy on this one point. I think it's very interesting that when you look at the movie, uh, and you look at the, uh, book, uh, and the differences between them that Singer and King did agree with the like impression of the character of Todd. Like the source material is very clearly that Todd is broken from the get go, right? Nothing made him cruel. He just was cruel. And I want to juxtapose this with like the true horror of like, um, you know, like what King's going for is remember his disagreement with Kubrick. Once again, we've talked about it multiple times about Jack Torrance. King believed that Torrance was inherently a good guy who's bent one way and then another uh, by like various cosmic forces of evil. Mm-hmm. And Kubrick wanted to say, no, that's can I don't like that convention. Uh, and because it's, it's too moralistically conventional. So I'm going to make Torrance a psychopath. And he thought that the horror of humanity was much more compelling. There's no ghosts or cosmic forces in that pupil. So King may argue that it like his disagreement with Kubrick was like, isn't relevant to this, the intrigue of like this story. But I find it very interesting that if you don't believe in ghosts and demons, this is more akin to what Kubrick was interested in dissecting than in the shining, the horror of humanity, humanity, not like the horror of ghosts. The Holocaust is unique in that it almost feels like it's reached legendary status where it is like a myth or it has a specter like ghost like quality. (laughs) You heard it here. No, 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 stop, stop. Now, I meant of mythic proportion. Uh, the Holocaust was real, right. unfortunately. Very, very real. Um, but 
Does that make sense? I mean that what I iconic is the word. I mean that Nazis are the icon of evil, and in that way, they you can work Portray- symbolically right. on the same level as a ghost. <clears throat> you're right because you're not like talking about specifically when we speak of the Holocaust, but rather is the devil for storytelling purposes, even though he's real. Yeah. When you get one removed and it's a portrayal of the Holocaust, it's, it's iconic and it means more. It, it's stereotypical evil. It's Mm -hmm. the most evil things that humanity can do. I'm not saying that's, I'm not trying to draw a line in the sand about that. I'm just saying when King, King typically wants to make the horror about external influences uh and the horror from within is something that i think king early in his career had a problem dealing with as we talked about oh, had with a problem. His problem with yeah drugs. he usually doesn't pick it to write about he yeah. just avoids it uh his issues with religion. Uh like he seems to dance around some problems earlier in his problems. I mean, he had difficulties in terms of like how, how he wanted to voice his personal opinion uh, on these matters early in his career. And then he developed, you know, and then, and, and there's, I do believe in like redemption in that sense, well, not that and uh, this partic- Stephen King needs to be redeemed, but that's on point because that's the question of the horror of humanity. Is it redeemable? You know, what is redemption? What is cruelty? These are things like if you're doing cruelty for cruelty's sake, is that truly less or more horrific than someone who's doing things out of compulsion uh, because of external factors? It's it's very strange where we choose to go when we talk about these types of big philosophical questions and attack it with our art. Because if you don't have a through line and a consistency of thought throughout that you're going to turn into Brian Singer in terms of the apt pupils. Well, that's problem. what, cause the movie is wants to ask the question, what sin is unforgivable, but that's not right. really a topic. Brian it's Singer wants to get to. into. Yeah. It's not what it is about at all. It's just, it's like, it's, it's dueling banjos replace banjos with cruelty. Like it's just, they both harm animals. They, you know, like, uh, at one point, he's at one point, Sanders telling a story where he's grabbing a bottle of whiskey and he like teeters over the stairs to reach. Inexplicably, Todd approaches and we get the feeling based off the inserts of feet and the eyes that Todd's going to push him and he doesn't. And then when Sander turns around, he's got a knife like he's preemptively thought. Now, I think that that's Singer saying, here's a moment where. They just are so driven to murder so that they up. can't help but be murderous. They have murder boners, yeah. But what does that scene actually say? Like, why is Dusander preempting that attack? Well, that's why what is we're Todd saying is even going for that? The movie why is that is too beneficial to any of them? Too timid to or just chose not to for for complicated reasons, strike at the heart of the issue or get to the core of it, and they just kind of riff until the plot action in the third act comes along to wrap things up but in the Mm -hmm. middle it is much more an exploration of the feeling of power dynamics between these two dudes versus Mm -hmm. it is not tng by which i mean it is not a sobering deep exploration of a philosophical question even though you would think this story as you said like the story not the movie the story itself of that pupil begs to be about what is the horror that lurks in man? Can it ever be redeemed? This movie goes out of its way to morph and shift it to that not being what it's about. In fact, the resonant line of the film that's repeated at the beginning and the end is, 
uh, what I want to know is how did it feel? Uh, and yes, that is so interesting yeah. that the movie literally enshrines what t- is the like, don't be interested in, was it worth it? Like the line isn't, was it worth it? Or can I ever be forgiven? No, it's not something like on point philosophically. It's still, we're, we're just stuck with Todd's surface level sensation obsession of like, what did it feel? Like, what does it feel like what? to kill someone? And if you take the allegorical answer, what does it feel like to be sexually involved with a, a older dude? It's like either way, the movie's only investigating what does it feel right. like. It's like no a very how, sen- no sensation level experience. Yeah, yeah. There's no why in this film. Uh, yeah. Uh, that's kind of. That's my critique of the movie. Uh, you started with giving things, saying things that I you liked about the movie, and I ca- I guess I'll kind of end there. Okay. Um, I do think that if you're directorially looking for interesting aspects of this movie, and if you've already seen it, again, I shared. I, I wouldn't go out and buy this movie personally. I don't think it needs to be bought. Um, directorially, I do think that there's something that singer does which uh most i did like the claustrophobic close-ups that he choose to cover the larger percentage of this film relative to other films it makes the acting sing more because you're seeing the faces in the big screen it so it makes it more intense because that's what they're emoting singer's agenda it makes the actors be physically really really close and intimate really close and powerful uh it makes you feel uncomfortable because you feel a little it's not just there's two different there's a difference between zoomed in and physically close and singer does both Mm -hmm. and by doing both he's really amping up that uh, un that uncanny feeling that you get from being too close and having someone loom over you. Uh, I think this uh, editing is especially strong in this movie, actually. Uh, yeah, I agree. At least in the scene work, uh, the montages leave a lot to be desired, but I think it's because there's no well, the montages are silly. It's a, there are um, altogether too many montages of him learning in this. It's ridiculous. Like the opening yeah. credits are, he's learning about Nazi stuff at the library. Yeah. Then later it's like, now he's learning about the real hardcore mm-hmm. Nazi stuff from the secret library. Right. Then there's another montage where you're like, now he was so focused on Nazi stuff. Right. He's got to bring his grades up. So here he is again studying. He swishes the basketball. He hits the home run. <laughs> He kisses the ladies. Um, this, yeah, the editing is good though. Like in scene work, the, the, I wanted to point out specifically something you and I always talk about uh, when we're doing our own stuff, which is movie cuts reactions very smartly, uh, especially how it covers Todd when he listens to like Dustlander talk about all of these atrocities. It's like he's, he's on, that's why I think like, uh, uh, what's his name? Brad Renfro is like kind of steals the movie from Ian McKellen because we cut to his reactions of like, yeah, yeah. And, and, and it's these kind of nuanced little ticks that he also has when he like, is like, Oh, I realize now that you starting to feel like you have power over me because like Ian McKellen's character likes to play with him and say like, ah, you, you, you want to know that, or you, you're silly little boy or something like that in this mentor relationship. And, uh, Todd hates that. Todd wants to all power all the time. So his, he's irked by anything that, you know, throws in the face of he is King. Uh, that stuff is really subtle and really well done by both actors mm-hmm. and you kind of get it. Um, I want to talk. Oh, King Tropes. We talk, 
we've started to talk a few times about um uh things that come up in other king films now that we've gotten like 15 well, of these under our belts since we're talking king i also just want to put a mile a mile marker in and say like i think this book was a real transition point where king did intentionally diversify his subject matter because this short story is in the book four seasons or the seasons i forget but you could look it up easily it's by stephen goddamn king and uh it's a book of four <laughs> short stories themed after the seasons and from that book we get uh shawshank redemption stand by me and apt pupil so all of none of which involve uh the supernatural obviously Stand by me? No, yeah, none of which involve the supernatural. So I think yeah. uh, he was trying hard to prove. Hey, I'm a real boy. I write dramas. Yeah, maybe. And he pulled and it off. He, I and mean, then God, you think he just doubled down? That's three good stories. Yeah, he's I mean, he got back to his roots. He's he's had periods. He's been around so long. He's had man. periods. He go. He his pendulum he, has swung back and forth multiple times. Early Cujos, like we're talking pet cemeteries. Then there was a period where he swung hard back to. I want to write trashy Richard Bachman books just that are fun. And he did that. Uh -huh. Like there was a re-renaissance of Richard Bachman books like Desperation and uh, The mm -hmm. Regulators, shit like that. And we haven't even gotten to like the dark tower phase. Uh, oh my God. We'll have but, to watch that movie someday. I haven't seen it because I don't want to feel that pain. Maybe we'll watch it next. Uh, King tropes that he brings up that are... People who are, you know, king heads are going to notice. Again, takes place in the suburbs. Kingsman. Classic Americana. Uh, the other outsider is a big representation in this, especially when they're hidden in plain sight. So that's a that's kind of a double for you. Uh, both tropes used by King a lot. And the mentor relationship, you know, like the Jack Torrance uh, or not Jack Torrance, uh, like the 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 relationships we get in The Shining. Halloran. Uh, in Carrie. Yeah, Halloran. Uh, and then later in Dr. Sleep with, uh, you know, Danny himself and Azra or Abra, sorry. Um, so, yeah, there's a lot of a uh, lot of generic king going on. I shouldn't say generic. I just like typical king, um, which ain't bad. They're just things that if you're looking for that kind of literature examination that's what we got going on in here i'm sure there's more but i didn't yeah. really see any i think the concisest it just occurs to me the concisest example in a nutshell of the movie's potential and hollowness is the scene we haven't talked about which i'm gonna guess singer added but i'm not positive it's like a c-plot runner where this uh beautiful young woman keeps throwing herself at Todd and he's just not interested right. in girls. And she eventually goes, and he can't get it up. And she eventually shames goes, him for it. Or are you gay? And laughs at him. Uh -huh. And in any other, I feel like in other hands, that is a setup to explore the fact that, well, what if he is gay? Gays would, were also oppressed by the Nazis. So may, yeah. what, a, how does he reconcile that? Right. Um, but it doesn't go there at all. The implication is just, uh, no, maybe he's just so focused on Nazi stuff that he can't get it up. I don't know. Like the movie just is afraid to go all the way with it or explore those issues. Mm -hmm. And instead mm -hmm. they fill that with a scene where Ian McKellen, uh, this is one of the worst maneuvers in the film. I think Ian McKellen, tells a story that is like a season two recap of the movie. He goes like, mm -hmm. let's suppose a young boy blackmailed an old man. And you're like, okay, yeah, we know the premise. And then he's like, and let's suppose that old man felt threatened by this. And he tells the story for so <laughs> goddamn long. Yeah. Yeah. 
<laughs> he does stuff slow, though. He has a heart attack for like an hour and a half. <laughs> right, does several right. things while he has a heart attack. Uh, the last <laughs> note I have is that I think it's hauntingly appropriate that it ends with him giving a valedictorian speech in which he explicitly says, says Icarus, Do you know, the story of Icarus, this, this guy, Icarus thought everything would go great for him. And so he took his dad's wings out for a joyride. Well, this is our time. We're Icarus now. This is our time in the sun. Thank you very much. End of speech. It's he so completely funny. missed the point of Icarus. I know that that's got to be intentional. There's no but reference like even... to the fact that, yeah, then Icarus took a fall. Do you not know the lesson it's, of the thing? But that's the that's the whole thing. It's like no one teaches the story, the myth of Icarus, without including that his his wings burned. Like right. that's so stupid. That's the point of Icarus. What? So two questions. One, what does the movie think? Does that imply Brad that Renfro it's trying is to about say. to take a fall? No, because he doesn't. Yeah. That's what I'm. That's what's weird. Yeah, I don't yeah. know what it, what the movie means by that. <laughs> well, like, is it because it's it, like I it seems obvious it's breaking my brain because it seems obvious that like uh, he, Todd's mentioning it because you're supposed to us as the audience are supposed to go, oh, he missed the point of that story. Mm-hmm. Classic, um, very, very intelligent, um, yeah. like murder. Then it turns out. No, we end with Todd triumphant. So he really is. He's the Icarus that never sank or like he's he's the the, Icarus that won. And yet it really resonates with the idea of Brian Singer knowing deep down, I can't Mm -hmm. keep this up forever. Someday some shit's going to come back at me. Right. It's just pushing. It's insane to me how much tell uh, telling on yourself. Talk about it. Yeah. Uh, That's that's. It is wow! It it's is wild. insane. Some of that stuff. It's crazy because this, the acting is so good in this movie. Yeah, but don't watch it. Uh, watch. Uh, don't watch. We it. need to talk about Kevin instead. Or yeah, first there's reform. plenty other. Yeah, killing yeah. of a sacred deer, uh, hard candy. They're all in the same ballpark. Pink, pink triangle. It's about yeah. That's uh, a good one. World War Two. Uh, oh, if you're sticking with Holocaust stuff, watch. Yeah, I mean. Schindler's List is good. <laughs> Schindler's Should we List, get into yeah, our know. last section? Yeah, let's get in the last section. The Stand. Time to make your stand. Here we go. Your Honor, may this I take is the just stand? where we, we kind of rank them because I guess we're narcissists. We rank them and thank them. Thank you, Daddy King. Um, thank you, Daddy. I just want to say that I am doing this. This is solely based on my interaction with the piece of art itself. Uh, And people will probably come back at me and say, but Michael, you rated Green Mile very lowly because you found it so offensive. I found the actual content of the film itself offensive texturally to me. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. So I am discounting who is involved just for the purposes of the stand. I'm just ranking them as artifacts of film. Mm. And I find that I am, as always, consistent and correct. Okay, but wait, do I want to rank it down? Because now, while we're talking about the aspect that it really is, con- it's confused about its own message. I think it I'm is confused about its own message. At one spot, drop. because the movie I had it above is mm-hmm. at least coherent. 
its third act is coherent. Okay. I'm satisfied yeah, with my I mean, ranking. It depends. Like we said last time, it, you, you, you gain from art, whatever you, you want. Yeah. Right. <laughs> you do. You. If you're interested in colors and that's all you want, the most colorful film might be your favorite film and that's cool. So I'm, this is the Abe scale. It's not, you know, it's just what I, I got from it. Yep. Uh, there's a bunch of reasons why I put green mile higher than you. Uh, and I also feel that putting it very low is very valid for all the reasons that you said. All right, let's do it. We starting at the top or the bottom. Let's start with the top. I love the top. Tippy top. The shining. Shining baby. Number one. Undefeated. Number one with an axe to the back. Uh, number mm. two, Dr. Sleep for me. And that's stand by me for me. I really stand by Dr. Sleep as number two. Uh, that's fine. Number three, stand by me though. But I go misery here because it, it's, I'm so sad that we've disagreed. And then because I hear that, that makes me sad. And my number four is misery. See, but because now the joke's getting tired, I go Dr. Sleep. And the loop is closed. So the misery mm -hmm. abates and drifts and away like number the five, mist. the mist. Oh, you're hey. also missed. Yeah. Yeah. That's why we're now in the mist phase of our relationship. <laughs> um, feel weird saying it. Number six, apt pupil. <laughs> number six, I'm, I'm going to put running man over <laughs> man. apt pupil. As we know, as yeah. people who listen to frame right now, I don't have a soft spot for cheesy action. So running man sank a little low for me. Mm -hmm. I just think it's seminal and, uh, uh, yeah, a lot of people love running man. I just you know? think apt pupil is more competently put together than the films beneath it, but I am not endorsing mm -hmm. it. Uh, number it seven is. for me is Christine evil car movie. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Uh, I put Christine lower, but this is where I put apt pupil. Okay. At number seven. So they did, we still landed similarly. Yeah. I like still that. Still top of the bottom pack to me. Like we talked about this last time. I think the miss, the top five are in a category of their own. And then there's like the middle distance yeah. and then there's just the dregs. Um, and right now I feel like six and seven are like the middle. That's the middle distance. They're the yeah. middle weights. Yeah. Um, yeah. So number eight for me is running man. Mm -hmm. uh, number eight for me is green mile. That's going to, that's going to be one of the major discrepancies till the end of the series. Number nine yes. thinner. Uh, Christine for me. Yeah. I like the, the evil car movie more than Neil. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, number 10 dead zone. Number 10 is 1990s. It for Abe. For me, that's a little lower. Number 11 is it for me. See this. And I switched it up because I like the, I thought the dead zone was a good 11. Okay. You, you put thinner real low, didn't you? Uh, mm -hmm. number 12 for me is dream catcher. Uh, number 12 for me is thinner. There you go. Thinner sucks. Thinner's not good. Um, Dreamcatcher also sucks, but I actually am glad it's not on, on the very bottom because uh, mm. the more I think about how silly it is, the more I'm like, mm -hmm. Dreamcatcher's like a pathetic friend that tried. <laughs> You're like, good try, right. Dreamcatcher. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. so for me, 13 is Green Mile. Uh, 13 for me is uh, 1979's Salem's Lot. Yeah, I really hate Green Mile. You can listen to that episode yeah. if you want to find out why. I got a real mm -hmm. bug up my butt. Um, yeah. For me, number 14 is Maximum Overdrive, the cocaine-fueled Stephen King-directed monstrosity. 
Uh, and for me, it's Dreamcatcher, baby. <laughs> and then for me, the worst of the worst, because it had it's the ultimate sin. To, it's just wall to wall boring. Did not need to be made. <laughs> Salem's Lot. Fucking hate it, dude. It's so funny to me because I just can't see this. This is my favorite part of the list every time because you hated it so much, and it's valid. I put it at thirteen, but like. Everything that you say, Maximum Overdrive, which is my 15 and it will forever be at the bottom of the list, it's it's more so. It's like The Room and it doesn't even have the charm of The Room. I don't even understand. It's the worst movie. Maximum Overdrive is pretty boring, too. It's so bad. Salem's Lot tries stuff. It has characters, you know? No. In Salem's Lot... They say, what'll happen when we meet the vampire guy? And they say, I don't know, I'll shoot him. And I then, don't want to get it. And then later they shoot him and he dies. Like Salem's Lot is just a married couple who've been together for 45 years, giving each other birthday hand jobs as quickly as possible, getting it over with. It's run of the mill, man. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. That's fine. We agree to disagree. That's, we uh, still that's our have, take. I would say we still have striking same brain. We do. Yeah, we do. This is 15. Brackets, that's a yeah. lot of variables going on too. Right. Uh, and we never really decided this would be a lot more consistent if we were like, we are only going to evaluate it on its uh, ability to recreate King's novel or if we were to give a criterion that no, was actually No, we're doing it as films and it's standard. also personal. It's we're explicitly just, you know, how our you feel. taste. Yeah. Yeah. And we just knew that uh, we're usually pretty similar. So, uh, and it, I, I find that's burying out. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's, that's, that's our stand. Uh, we're, that's our hill we're going to die on, I guess. Yeah. We should figure out what we're doing next time now. Uh, I, what was the one that you mentioned? I could totally Tower. do Dark Tower. It's a new one. We've been, we've been kind of doing the old, older ones, you know, the nineties and the eighties we've been in a, in for a bit. Uh, I can go to a recent film. 2017's The Dark Tower. 2017's Dark Tower. Starring Idris uh, Elba, Matthew McConaughey, Claudia Kim, Fran Kranz, Abby Lee, and Tom Taylor. The very same. Yeah. The very same okay. that I'm sure a lot of people forgot because it's not memorable. Uh, so that's a little taste uh, for, I guess, just how the zeitgeist reflects on that well, movie. We've already covered next time. The Mist, which opens with the main character painting Roland Deschain mm. from Dark Tower. So he has appeared in the series technically. God, I can't wait. I I can. I heard it's really, really bad. <laughs> yeah, it's... Uh, it's not going to be great. Okay. <laughs> we'll do a good one after this. I would like that. Let's do a really good one after Dark Tower. Yeah. But next time, Smart. Dark Tower. King's a king. We're out. This has been a Small Beans endeavor. We're a bunch of pals who make podcasts, sketches, music, web series, and movies. The Beans always have new ideas percolating, so make sure to check us out at patreon.com slash smallbeans. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash smallbeans, where you can browse all of our current and past content, see what we've got planned in the future, and learn how your support can help the Small Beans grow into huge, giant monster beans. If you enjoyed this content module, please like, rate, subscribe, or tell a friend about us. We love you.